Hi, this is Kristen Cabrera, reporter-producer from the Texas Standard. One of the coolest things about working on the show is getting to tell stories from my community, like this one I did on high school UAL Mariachi. But you know, this is Texas. You'd be hard-pressed to go a week without hearing. Dun-dun! Listen anytime to the Texas Standard, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hey, this is Elizabeth McQueen, the host of this song. And if you like conversations like the ones we have on this show, then you should check out The Write-Up. It's a podcast produced by our sister station, KUT, and it's hosted by Owen Edgerton. And in each episode, he talks to writers about like creativity and inspiration and artistic process. All the good things. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Right on. Let's get started with the show. Hello and welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that changed their lives and then we get to the good stuff, inspiration, creativity, and artistic process. This week, we'll first be hearing from three of the members of the Austin group, The Octopus Project. We'll hear from Josh Lambert, Yvonne Lambert, and Tota Miranda. And then we'll hear from British singer-songwriter Jane Weaver. So let's get started with Octopus Project. Like I said, they're based here in Austin, Texas, which is like where we make this podcast. So they're a hometown band. And they play, like they call it Indietronica. It's indie and electronica. They take synthesizers and live drums and a theremin and guitars and loops and put them all together to make music that's like experimental, yet catchy and makes you just want to move your body. And then they have this stage show and they've got lights and projections and, you know, you can probably tell I'm a fan. In fact, they have a lot of fans here at KUTX, the radio station where we make this podcast. They came into Studio 1A back in March, and afterwards they sat down with me to go through the different musical moments that made them do what they do. You'll hear from Josh first, then Yvonne, then Toto. So here they are, Octopus Project. The record that I would say changed my life was Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want. How do we know the names? We are the people that can find whatever you may need. If you got the money, honey, we got your disease in the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Uh, which I think came out in... Like I was 10 or 11 or 12 or something and uh, was not really, hadn't really heard much rock music or just wasn't into it. And then when I heard that record, I was like, whoa, you know, this is, this is what I want to do. You know where you are. What were you listening to before then? Like, were, was it just like top forty stuff, yeah, or just whatever was on the radio, or like you know, Lionel Richie and stuff? What is happening here? So 
playing music at the time? I was playing trumpet. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> is that music? <laughs> trumpet is music for sure for all you trumpet players out yeah. there. Most definitely music. But so you were kind of playing music, but you weren't really listening to and or playing yeah. rock music. Yeah, no, not really. And so then, then did you start playing guitar after Yeah, immediately. Yeah. Yeah, and it was that's uh, I haven't looked back. <laughs> did you learn that record? Like was, was yeah. that one of the first things you did? Yeah. I knew I knew most of the songs on it. I think. So, what was it about Guns N' Roses? I mean, as opposed to Lionel Richie or Michael Jackson. I mean, uh, I don't know. I I just like the way it sounded. I think I just really liked the guitar sound, or just like it was just like rough. Was and, it? Yeah. Was it like a like a, the heaviness of it? That I guess, or maybe even just more just the crispiness of the crunchiness of it. Uh-huh. I don't know. Really? Like not not in like a. Not in a rock way. I don't know how to explain it. Just the, the actual physical sound. Of it. I mean, I get the thing about Guns N' Roses is it's rock music, but it's very heavily produced. Yeah. Very structured rock mm. music. And it has it has very crisp production. Yeah, totally. Um, so when you guys, when you started to make your own music, was that something you tried to do? Was it like, <laughs> I want to do rock, <laughs> but I want it to be very, like, very... Uh, um. No, I, I think maybe by the time we started this band, I hadn't listened to them in a long time and <laughs> probably weren't on my radar as far as like influence. Was this the first band that you were in? No, oh, no, okay. no. We were all in a bunch of high school bands. Did your stuff, high school so. band play Guns N' Roses? Nope. Really? But this band actually did. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We, we, we did the first like the intro to Paradise City. Uh-huh. I, I swapped it out as the intro for one of our songs. And no, nobody, like, nobody got it. Got nobody it. understood. <laughs> like three or four months ago. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it didn't really work Lauren out. Lauren brought, <laughs> brought a whistle from home. It was hilarious for us. Yeah. <laughs> was it? And no regrets. It, was the audience just sitting there going... Yeah, I, I think the audience was kind of going like that the entire show. We, so we, we were fairly <laughs> out of context for the whole thing, so we could kind of get away with any, anything we wanted. Was Guns N' Roses the thing that made you want to like play rock music? Then? Yeah, that's totally. the thing that changed. Like, yeah. I just want to play rock music. Yeah, enough of this trumpet. Yeah, I kind of gave up on the trumpet when I heard that record, I think. (laughs) As an instrument. sitting in your bedroom, (laughs) listening to it, like you have the record in one hand and the trumpet in the other hand, and you throw the trumpet in the garbage. (laughs) Start giving yourself a tattoo. (laughs) With the shards of the trumpet. As far as a song uh, that influenced me, um, I don't remember when the movie uh, 2001 Space Odyssey came out, but... (laughs) 
my parents had the record. Um, and before that I was, or as a child growing up, I was very drawn to classical music, big movements and feeling the feelings that go along with, with that. But uh, I think the 2001 theme song was the first crazy dissonance I'd ever heard and it scared me and it I think that was maybe my first experience of having a song it just actually frightened me I mean it made me cry when I was little <laughs> you like put it on so that you would cry well that's an interesting question my my dad thought it was really funny he would put it on this oh. <laughs> <I would> <laughs> <laughs> sounds just terrible um but it, i don't know uh when i was little that was kind of a thing that would happen sometimes and then when you got older did you appreciate the ability of the 2001 like did you were you like, oh, that that song can make me feel this thing. Terror. This well, terror. And then as far as making myself cry, mm-hmm. um, I had a, my grandma gave me a, a tiny little organ that I played with when I was little and just teaching myself how to play different songs. And uh, I do remember playing that organ and trying to play like the saddest thing that I could play to see if I, just to try to make myself cry and, uh, it was just fun little experiments I did by myself. <laughs> <laughs> did it work? Like, were you able? Did you play the right, like yes. the right combination of yes. chords? Where you were like, yes. oh, oh wow. no, I, I do have a memory of my mom walking in on me in my room with my organ, crying. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, that's really great because I think, like a lot of kids, when they hear classical music, what they hear is like boring classical music. It has no words. Like, or I mean, I, I think it took. It, it personally took me a long time to like realize that, you know, what I was turning to music for was like an emotional response yeah. and like actively seeking out different things and mm-hmm. understanding that. But it seems like you were pretty tuned into that pretty young, yes. which, yeah. which is, which is awesome. And then you joined a band and you guys started making instrumental music, which I think still is like a bridge for some people to get to an emotional place with instrumental music because mm-hmm. there are no lyrics mm-hmm. telling you how to feel. You have to actually give Feel. yourself over <laughs> to feeling. Um, and uh, was that kind of when you started a band where you like, I want to make an instrument, I want to be in I an mean, instrumental band. I was like five, I think at this time. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't, and, but I, and I grew up playing piano and keyboards, but it was always a very private personal thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until Toto and Josh were in a high school band together and they needed a keyboard player, their keyboard player had quit and I agreed to fill in. It was just going to be a fill in job, but then they stopped looking for somebody else. So I just ended up playing keyboards with them. Wait a second. You guys have been playing together since high school? Yeah, I met Josh and I realized that Josh knew Toto and it just, uh, 
I really feel like because I loved and trusted Toto so much, it, it said a lot for Josh as a person. I feel like, oh, he must be a really good guy because he's Toto's friend. I have pretty high standards. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then so you just, but it all, you just kind of fell into the band and then it was just like, and then it, was it just, just kept going. Right. Yeah. yeah. You guys have a long musical history. Yep. Together. Yeah. And a long history just in like personal history. I wow, I actually did not know that you guys had been playing together that long. Yeah. So what about you, Toto? What's what about a song or something for you? I'm gonna say seeing the Jesus Lizard in nineteen ninety-three or possibly four. first like serious rock and roll shows that I had been to mm-hmm. I think I'd seen like I'd definitely seen Megadeth and Weird Al previous to that <laughs> both of which were fantastic in their own kind of showbiz way I hope they separate separate shows yeah, separate okay. concerts <laughs> But it was the Jesus Lizard. Was that a song that uh, a show that you actively wanted to go to? Yeah, yeah, like... yeah. I just just gotten had just started to figure out that there was more to music than say Megadeth, and had started like looking around for like, well, okay, what are people into that I've probably never heard of? Everybody says this band is great, and so I got their cassette and was super into it, and then got to see him on that tour, and it was such a physical thing, and like. Yeah, just the way, yeah, visceral and like the playing with their whole bodies and the room exploding and. As much as like high school bands was a chance to kind of you know, get up and be goofy on stage and like cursing the microphone and stuff. This was the first time I'd seen like people doing it with such focus and intensity. And then were you like, and that, that, I want to do that. Yeah, definitely. Drumming specifically. I think Mac McNeely is still the most, uh, most inspirational uh, thing, having seen him play. I've seen you drums like put your entire because drumming is such a physical full body thing anyway I mean all playing any instrument is but drumming more than others and you have to use all four limbs at the same time and I don't know how anyone does it yeah <laughs> um, I have to stop thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> and then when you do it all falls apart well did did you go home and start trying to do it and try to like figure out how to get yourself to that place or did you go like tell your friends like we got to get up on stage and We've no, like, no, but that's where I feel like I sort of ended up. I don't think it was that conscious, mm-hmm. but yeah. And and that, that was also the start of seeing like a bunch of bands where there was, I feel like it was a more common thing back then for people to do it just like 120% on stage. Like the 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but both the crowd and the audience, there was just more physical energy 
in the room at a show. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought of that. Like, that was a thing. Yeah, to be excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, like, standing around with your arms yeah. crossed. Yeah. Nodding. There, there was, like, full body into it stuff going on or was it just because we were younger I, like do kids uh, no I, I think there's a much chiller vibe in general i don't think music is any better or worse but i feel like physical performance and like i don't know performance is the wrong word but that kind of uh physical commitment yeah maybe i think people are just not that's not as much of an idea at the moment as it was when i was coming up and figuring out what things were all about and I'm grateful for having been there then because it's a lot of fun to do and to, to think of things in that way. Is it still something like do you prefer live performance to recording still? Or it, like, it depends on the music. It totally yeah. depends. On, there's, there's some stuff that like types of music that I only want to see live and sometimes that I only want to listen to records of yeah. and they're, they're pretty different. Uh, what about in the octopus project? I mean, you guys have a pretty intense recording process, mm -hmm. but then you also have a pretty intense live show. So how do you kind of, I don't know, reconcile the two? Like, I think that that's what eat the differences are what keep each one interesting. The chance in the recording to really drill down onto the tiniest details and really just nudge everything into place and work on it as a, work on the recording as a composition, you know, bit by bit. Or recording a song and then playing it live. It's two completely different things. I feel like we usually write and record the song roughly at the same time and then figure out how to play it live and it will change drastically. It, changes, yeah. it, evolves, it evolves even yeah. before you've played the first show, it's yeah. gonna become a new yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. sometimes we'll go back and re-record it. We're like, wow, it's way better now. That oh, we, really? That like you'll actually out take a, yeah. I like what we're doing up here better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or like, you know, add parts, like add drums to a song that didn't have them or whatever. Yeah, yeah you, get, you get a different perspective on it when you have to make it work mm -hmm. in a room. Have you guys been playing together long enough where you can all look at each other and go like, yeah, we need to go back? Like, where the uh, everyone kind of knows when it's right and knows when it's working and knows. Yeah, I mean, yeah. 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 I think yeah. we have to talk about it, but <laughs> <laughs> more often than not, we're on the same page. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for sitting down with me. Yeah, yeah thanks for having us. is Whitby by Octopus Project and like if you've heard this show before then you probably know I'm a huge fan like a gigantic fan of the full band interview and if this is your first time listening well I love full band interviews like I love the insight it gives you into the band as a whole I feel like I understand the energy the emotion and the physicality of Octopus Project better now than I did before plus like I understand why all these people pool their resources and make music together because they're deeply connected and they have fun together and it's really rare to find people who you can connect with and have fun with and create with so when you find those people like that's when true bands are formed 
if you liked the insight you got into Octopus Project and, you know, if like stories like the ones Josh and Yvonne and Toto just told are your thing, then please head on over to iTunes and become a This Song subscriber. And while you're there, we'd love it if you would leave a rating or a review for this song because ratings help us in lots of ways. First off, seriously, I'm not going to lie. They make everyone on the This Song team feel really good. And they help other people find us in the vast landscape of iTunes, which is really the point. Like We want as many people as possible to hear these stories of creative transformation And there are like lots of stories. We just put up all 53 episodes. For real, this is the 53rd episode up on iTunes. And you can hear people like Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo and Leon Bridges and Kevin Parker from Tame Impala talk about the music that transformed the very way that they make art. Like you can totally let yourself fall down a deep hole of musical goodness. Okay. Now, on to Jane Weaver. Jane is a singer-songwriter from the UK who plays music that uses synthesizers and layering to create, like, sounds that are melodic and ethereal and experimental all at the same time. We've been digging on her song, I Need a Connection, at KUTX. It's from her 2015 record, The Silver Globe. And she was in Austin for South by Southwest this year. South by Southwest, of course, is the massive music and film and interactive festival that takes over Austin every March. And Jane met me down at the convention center, which is like the hub of everything, to talk about a song and an artist that still inform the music she's making today. So here she is, Jane Weaver. So the, the song that changed my life really is uh, Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush. her on TV doing Wuthering Heights that that was the turning point I was only you know probably five or six I decided that I wanted to be a musician and and I was in awe of her as I'd never seen anybody like her at all did you say you were five or six yeah honestly it's it's that clear an imprinted memory you know it was such a strong thing because she was so unique and you know there was a lot of uh, rock music and pop music at the time there was a lot of glam and when I was when I was really young I was really into music because it was on the TV there was a show called Top of the Pops in the UK and so even at that age you know I was I was getting into music and wanting to play keyboards and stuff but she was her voice her vision her dancing her mind you know, that was, and the fact that she she would sing in such a falsetto, operatic way, just made me want to be a singer. 
describe that first time seeing her when you were a kid so yeah so top of the pops um i think she was miming actually so she i think she probably had a leotard on and some maybe a long dress and footless tights and barefoot and she has this specific dance if you ever look at it you should look at the video for wuthering heights she does this you know specific choreography thing to it so she was doing this on top of the pops while she was singing as well so it, it, it was just, and I think it was kind of, in my memory, it was kind of soft focus. A lot of her stuff was, her hair was all like, you know, brownie red and sort of wavy. And it was that kind of Bieber-esque, you know, that, that Art Nouveau kind of 70s look, which uh, people still do now, <laughs> still go for now, but it's more expensive, like Chloe. <laughs> So yeah, it was, you know, it was just the whole package. Did you go out and start to play music then? I mean, you were very young, like five or six years old. Well, the, the Kick Inside was the third, which was the album which featured Wuthering Heights and I think The Man With The Child In His Eyes. And that that was the first record I asked for and got for Christmas off my parents, but I had it on cassette tape and I've still got it. So it will have been, I think, 77 or 78, yeah. So I, I was very young, but it was, it was, you know, it's one of my prized possessions still. I got a keyboard a few years later, like a Bon Tempe, those Italian little organs. Um, and I, what I would do is like stand in front of the TV whenever music came on. So at the time, there's things like Gary Newman, our friend's electric. like orchestral news in the dark, you know, a lot of electronic kind of stuff as well. I used to stand there in front of the TV, like, trying to play along within that, because there's no video recorders, trying to play along within that short space of time. So I was always I was always interested in music anyway, singing. But I I was a very shy child, so I would never openly discuss this with my parents. It was like this like secret thing that I was this secret plan that was like right, okay, when I get bigger, I'm going to be a singer. Always stay with me. 
it's my it's my thing whenever I do a record. I, I it's my go back to go back to record, you know, the kicking side. Because it's got um even though that rec that album was done she was very young, she was discovered by Dave Gilmore. She went into a studio with a lot of session musicians. And I think it's the one record where she feels that she wasn't really in control of. She had to argue for Wuthering Heights to be the first single because they wanted it to be The Man With The Child In His Eyes. I hear him before I go to sleep and focus on the day that's been I realise he's there when I turn the light off and turn over And so after that I think that she became more sort of independent in her production and stuff like that. But I still love that first record because it's I don't know, it does sound like it does sound like professional library musicians. But it sounds progressive, you know, it's very it's quite perfect really. But I don't I don't mind that it's not trashy or messy. I think it's it's kind of perfect to me. Uh, and so what kind of um, aesthetic did you try to go for with your with this record that you that you've done? It do you like to keep things together and kind of like perfect or do you like a bit of messiness or? Well, I think that, I mean, I'm still doing that sort of progressive layering. You know, there's still a lot there. There's still a lot of, um, I think like on the kicking side, there's a lot of seagulls and like, you know, Wuthering Heights, there's a lot of ethereal things. So it's, it, it, it all influences everything you're doing. You know, a lot of reverb on stuff. Um, like soundtrack noises, stuff like that. So yeah, it's it's still, it's still it's just still carries with me. It's my go-to thing, you know, always. It sounds like it's the first time you fell in love with music. Yeah, D- definitely, definitely. You know, and when I when I think of it as well, I get that kind of warm feeling. But that's what it should be when you when you fall for your first record or first album or you know the love you feel for it. You, it it's genuine, you know, and it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. I'm not a snob about music. I wouldn't even care that it's, you know, so many people think Kate Bush is cool and she's, you know, mysterious and unique. And I don't even care for all that. If, even if she wasn't like that, I just wouldn't care, you know. You just love the songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we dig on it it's good and like I had heard Kate Bush before but like when I think of Kate Bush I think of running up that hill that's like my main reference but I searched out Kate Bush performing Wuthering Heights on top of the pops and then like I watched the actual music video and there is this dance that she does and I mean now that I've seen it I understand I understand the impact that not just the song, but like the whole experience of seeing her perform that song would have had on a very young Jane Weaver. Like it's not exactly like pop music. It's like performance art packaged as pop music. 
which is way cooler. And like, in fact, I'm getting a little obsessed. Like, I'm going to learn that dance that she does. And I've been singing in like a Kate Bush Wuthering Heights style lately. Like, seriously, like you should see Kate Bush perform Wuthering Heights. I'll put links to videos of her singing the song on top of the pops and doing that dance. And like, maybe you'll want to learn the moves and see what your voice sounds like in high falsetto. And then we can get together and I'll do our like Kate Bush thing. Or even if you don't fall off the edge a little like me, like, I'm pretty sure you'll be impacted positively if you see Kate Bush. I'll also put the Octopus Project Studio in a session on the page for this episode, and I will put a Spotify playlist there too, so you can hear all the songs in this episode all the way through. And that's it. You have come to the end of another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX 98.9 in Austin, Texas. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen. Cliff Hargrove recorded the interview with Octopus Project, and I recorded the interview with Jane Weaver. Taylor Wallace curates our Instagram account, and she's been making these really cool flipgram videos lately. You should totally check it out. William Maxwell is our excellent intern, and yes, it's true. Our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own Hard Proof. They have a new live record out on Jim Eno's Public Hi-Fi label, just so you know. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at this song, KUTX. You can follow us on Facebook, and you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Austin Music Minute, Liner Notes, and Song of the Day on iTunes. Right on. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained Live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.